Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Steph Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Steph. Hi, Steph. How is quarantine life treating you? I am officially, as of right now, like 20 minutes ago, out of quarantine. Amazing. And you know what that means? What does that mean? Jack shit, because I'm still isolated. Because you're still, you're in isolation period now. Um, I mean, I can get groceries now. You can go. So there's that. Yeah. And I can go for a run, because you know me, I'm a big runner. Are you going to take up running? Is this what you're what you're saying? Andrea, I just said I'm a big runner. Right. Runner for <laughs> wine. I can run again. <laughs> I think we're all, uh, I hope everyone is enjoying isolation or quarantine or whatever stage of this global pandemic that you're in. Um, I'm also in isolation. Uh, I've actually, I haven't been bored though. I'm really enjoying the time at home. We've had tons of time to focus on the podcast. I'm, I'm like organizing stuff at home. I've really been enjoying it. Drinking a lot of wine, though. I feel like this is becoming yeah. a bit of a problem. <laughs> I, I've done a bit more day drinking. I'm doing, I'm finding productive things to do. Like I took everything out of the pantry and reor- like I've reorganized yeah. all my cupboard. I still have an unpacked from getting back from your place, but I've done tons of other shit. Um, but yes, day drinking seems to be more of a thing now. <laughs> I feel like it, it, it's easy to do. And and because I've been so productive, but at the end of the day, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll just have a glass of wine. I deserve this. So I don't know if it's becoming, <laughs> it's if it's a good thing or a bad thing right now. But either way, we're still in it. I feel like every day we get through this isolation globally is deserves a glass of wine. Totally. Like whatever. No shame. Anyone else that's maybe drinking a little bit more than they normally do. You go for it. You do you. Um, so we we thought about, we were like, oh, do we want to do another episode on something coronavirus related? And, you know, I think we're all bored of talking about it, but it's the nature of it. This is the reality. This is, we're all in it right now and we can't travel yeah. and we still want to bring you travel related content. And so what we did this week, we um, have a guest this week. So a very good friend of mine, Ian Cox. Ian only just recently got back from Peru so he was stranded. He was stuck in Peru. It has been all over the news about people in South America, specifically in Peru, mm-hmm. how they were especially having challenges getting back. Like, this yeah. is not just, you know, an inconvenience of, oh, I need to get on another flight because this one was canceled. Like, mm-hmm. they've had significant challenges there. And I've been following Ian's travels. He has been living his best life. And suddenly it's like, boom, get your ass home now. Exactly. He, uh, I mean, you'll hear in the interview, but he, he set off for six month 
South American trip uh, only a couple months ago. And yeah, he got stuck in this situation. We we thought we'd bring him on just to talk about his experience about being stranded in another country during a global pandemic, something none of us, I feel like, have gone through in our lifetime um, and what that was like. And with all that said, let's just jump into it. Hey Ian, how's it going? Hey, really good. I'm good. home. Thank you, first of all, so much for coming on and talking to us. Um, and also, I'm so happy that you finally made it home. Oh my god, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole episode we're doing today is about being stranded abroad during a global pandemic, which I feel like anyone that's traveling feels like they would never have to deal with this scenario. I mean, when you're planning your travels, Ian, when you were planning your, your trip to South America, did you even think this, did you, you know, you think of insurance and, and medical stuff that comes up. Did that even cross your mind? No. So like, yeah, I got all the regular things, insurance, planned a bit of my trip. I kind of like planned the first month of my trip. And yeah. then um, when I left, I left on December the 1st. So there, there was no cases. This wasn't a thing. Yeah. So I planned for like the usual things. So let's start from the beginning. Your trip to South America. Just tell us about that. How long you were planning on going for, where you went, where you mm-hmm. were planning on going. Give us a little <laughs> background in that. Yeah. So I um, left at the beginning of December. It was going to be six and a half months. And it was basically flying into Argentina in Buenos Aires and flying out from San Francisco. So I had to get from basically the bar, like South America all the way to North America. Okay. And it was do every country in between. I planned the first month, so I knew where I'd be for Christmas, because obviously it's important, Christmas, New Year. And then after that was like freestyle, just kind of go over the flow, see what countries are like, see what people were saying, and just kind of head up. So my plans were always changing as I was going along anyway. Like I managed to do... Travel. We don't like to plan too much. Steph and I have talked oh, about this before, and it's like... I had like internal flights booked for the first month, but like after that was nothing. And um, I, I was so glad I did it that way. I was really happy. I met people that were telling me, go here, showing me photos, and like that kind of changed my route so I was like I was going to places I'd never expected to go to like even Bolivia like you were saying on your previous podcast about the salt flats yeah uh, I didn't I didn't even know they were there your I didn't photos know. from that were amazing insane right link them somewhere after after we do this episode yeah honestly I was so envious of that it, you, the pictures that you guys took in the group that you guys were with it was yeah i i honestly somebody showed me a video that they did on the salt flats i was like where the hell is this and they were like oh it's in bolivia like go there and i was like yeah that's on the list now so i was already kind of going a set route and then i changed it and then just went a different place and then i i spent five weeks in bolivia i thought i would spend like one week there i didn't even know it was a big thing there was lots of things to do well that would have been one of the last places that you went before the coronavirus pandemic no yeah so in in bolivia as we were going along our trip i'd kind of heard about corona and was seeing things coming in the news but every time I looked at the map of where it was, South America had no cases right. for a long 
time. So I was like, we're fine. Yeah. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Then Bolivia, I think, I actually honestly think I hadn't seen any cases when I was in Bolivia as well. I don't know whether I wasn't, maybe I was naive not looking at the news as much, but in South America, it wasn't a thing. Well, and I guess that would have been like, a fair? Yeah, probably like February. So I guess coronavirus was in the news. So you heard about it in Bolivia. Yes, I was staying with a um, Spanish family. I was tra- trying to learn Spanish. <laughs> Donde es like, uh, el baño? <laughs> oh, no entiendo. Hablo inglés. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my extent. Um, so oh, I was staying with this family and we used to have breakfast together every day. And we would watch the news. So I started seeing coronavirus pop up in the news and I, I saw it as a thing, mm. but you just, as with everyone, you didn't, didn't really know the extent of what it was. Yeah. So it was always which, in Europe. Which is like well, a normal reaction, I guess. Like going back to even yeah. Steph and I, like the first episode we did on this podcast and we talked about um, when we were in Dublin, we did a trip to London and Dublin in 2010. And mm. when that volcano in Iceland erupted um, and it was saying like flights are grounded, again, we were kind of watching the news, not thinking it was going to affect us. We're like, oh, it's fine. Our flight's in a few days. But then ultimately we're like, oh shit. Like as a few days went on, we're like, this is affecting us. But initially you don't think, you know, yeah. you think you're... You think it won't affect you. Um, through my trip, I honestly thought that I could bypass Corona. I Like it didn't seem to be a big thing. It seemed to be just in Europe, China. And yeah. I was like, at no point I thought I would stop. I just thought I can carry on. Because even at that point, like you said, in South America, there wasn't really any cases, or at least confirmed cases. I mean, even now, I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it, but it's South America. Yeah, it's still up now. Like, um, and I think they probably taken like heavier precautions in other countries. Right. Um, just because of their infrastructure and their hospitals probably can deal with like, imagine if they had a Italy kind of yeah. scenario. Yeah, um, exactly. They just can't, yeah, couldn't deal with it. At least they're they, yes, taking exactly. it seriously before it becomes a serious problem. So going back then when you heard about it, so even the, like the family you were staying with, what was, what was the general reaction? Like, I know we talked about you where you're like, oh, it's not a big deal, but you know, yeah. the family that you stayed with or other travelers that you met, what was everyone else's general reaction? Honestly, there wasn't much talk about it. it nobody really mentioned it. It wasn't a thing. Like, even the family, they had, in Bolivia, they had big political problems. So it was more about their own politics and what was going on in their country rather than what's going on elsewhere. Because it was right. elsewhere at that point. They didn't really care. Like, they, we didn't really talk about it. Maybe they didn't think it would come over there. I, I, I don't know. But yeah. So initially, I guess, when yeah, it, what was this? February, you said it wasn't, no one was really concerned about it then. Exactly, exactly. And did you think at this point that it was going to affect your, your trip? Not the only thing I thought it would do is I thought, okay, it was in China there'll be less Chinese tourists going to the Galapagos Islands so I can get their spaces for cheap to go to the Galapagos. That's honestly the only thing that crossed my mind. I was like, oh, more cheap spaces so I can get a last minute on a cruise. I mean, (laughs) if it's going to... Like, honestly, when, obviously, you know, when you're traveling, you're cut off. You don't really read the news as much. You don't really see what's going on. You're in your own bubble. When you meet people, news doesn't 
really come into conversation. It's more like, where you been? Where you going? What you uh, doing? And that's a good point. You know, when you, when you do travel, it is a bit of escapism, isn't it? Where yes, you're right, escaping exactly. the real world and, yes. you know, you're getting away from all this shitty stuff going on, whether it's personal shitty stuff or yeah. stuff happening in the country that you live in, whatever it may be. Um, so you were yeah. probably just, as you said, in your own little Ian bubble, drinking wine, partying, doing your yeah. thing. Like there was at times when I was, didn't even have phone signals. So I didn't even, I wouldn't see the news for days because I was in the jungle or like stuff. Yeah. So, so the, this comes to my next question then. At what point then, as the coronavirus story started to unfold a bit more, at what point did you start following the news a little bit closer? Yeah, honestly, it was probably in Peru. I was following it a bit, getting updates, but still didn't realize the magnitude of it or like I say it was a bit of a naive traveler and wasn't really looking at news as much so when it got to Peru and we it was forced upon us that's when it's like okay all I'm gonna look at is the news now all right so we'll get to Peru where were you when it was confirmed that was it was considered a global pandemic um it would have been around mid-March so before it was March 11th which was my birthday Oh. Yeah, happy birthday. Um, yeah, it was actually like on my birthday, but I was in Machu Picchu. I, I didn't have phone signals. So right. I, w- I was up Machu Picchu for my 35th birthday. I didn't have a care in the world and Corona wasn't a thing. I was up there content with every de- decision I made. I was like, I've come traveling. I love life. Everything is going really well. And then even after that, I came down from Machu Picchu, went back to Cusco and there was no war. There was nothing about Corona again. Then I went on another two day trek with no signal up the mountains. And then it was only then when we came back, the the news of uh, what Peru were doing and the Corona thing really hit. So honestly, before that, I would say it didn't really cross my mind. Like, yes, we were seeing news updates and like we were sad to see what was going on. But again, it didn't really affect South America as much as we thought it did. And maybe this is the traveler's bubble, which is... Right. And does that go for the locals as well, though? Yeah. So our tour guides that were on, um, that were taking us around Machu Picchu and the next day around the mountains, they never mentioned it. It was never a thing. I don't even think they knew to the extent what would happen or what was going to happen. And I think that probably is the case with everywhere, but it was never really mentioned. But I would have loved a warning. Like, (laughs) what were like, yeah, but they, they, nothing, they didn't say anything either. And even all the other travelers in our group that were on the tour, it was never a thing for them either. So at what point, because it seems like throughout, even even when it was it was determined a pandemic, you still yeah. weren't really that concerned. You didn't really give a shit. You're like, I'm still traveling and I'm doing my thing. What yeah. point did it hit you where you're like, oh shit, this is a big deal? Um, it was when we were told in Peru that they had shut down the borders, land, sea, air, and right. that we had to stay in Peru. And then it was kind of like, okay, fuck, like, what, what the hell am I going to do now? Like, that and was. Told you, this was at the hostel? Um, yeah, so we'd come back from our two day tour. We'd had no communication, there was no signal in the mountains. We got back to a hostel in the evening and we kind of heard another um, traveller mention something that there was a, the president had done an announcement, but obviously my Spanish wasn't that good. So I didn't really <laughs> understand. Gato? <laughs> uh, Donde esta Corona? Um, <laughs> so yeah, he did the announcement and me and my friend Zoe, who I met on my tours, she's Kiwi, and we were talking about it and we were like, okay, 
something's happening here. Um, we thought borders are closed. Right. So we were like, okay, Peru's borders closed, but we thought we could still travel around Peru. There was no In question. In Peru. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, we went to sleep and we woke up the next day that we realised the real extent of what the Peru lock- lockdown was. And it was way more than we thought it would be. So in your head, you thought, all right, there's a global pandemic happening and the borders are closed. However, we can just still travel within Peru, no big deal. Yeah. And the borders, yeah. they'll probably open up in like a week or two kind of thing. Um, we had heard that in the morning that it'd be 15 days, but we <laughs> thought you could still travel within Peru for those 15 days. So in my head, I thought, brilliant, I could travel Peru. That's the amount of time I wanted to be here anyway. So I could keep traveling. And by the end of the quarantine, I could be at the end of Peru and then go into Ecuador. And where were you in Peru at this point? Uh, I was in Cusco. Cusco. So Cusco is, that's quite an elevator. Isn't that like up in the mountains? It is, yeah. So um, that was one of the main problems for people. It's 3,399 meters altitude. That's quite a scary place to be for during a global pandemic where the virus literally attacks your lungs. And you, you have asthma, don't you? So it was like hard to breathe anyway. And now, like I was doing fine in the mountains. I had my inhalers. I was always kind of taking precautions. But like anytime you take a walk up a hill, you are out of breath. Like you can't breathe. And I, luckily, I'm like 35. I'm young. I can deal with it. But there was people that were old and do not have the same kind of lung capacity who um were would be struggling definitely right i mean that's that's a a huge risk factor in its own that there's Mm -hmm. people up on this high altitude mountain did you start to get worried at any point were you at the hostel going fuck this is a big deal am i gonna be stuck here yeah so I i remember it well actually so um we got told it would be locked down me and my friend Zoe were like, let's find a good hostel to stay at. We're not staying. We were in quite a small one. There was no people there. And in the morning, they were all leaving. Everyone was looking for flights to get out of there. They were all cancelled. So, Oh, everyone was already starting to leave? That was kind of the mindset? Well, they were trying, but actually so many flights were cancelled that you probably couldn't have even left. Just put it in perspective, the president did his announcement at 8pm on Sunday. The Mm. lockdown started on Monday. On Monday, you basically had to find where you were going to stay for 15 days because you were, yeah, like there was no, no flights out. We looked at flights to get to Mexico was like 900 pounds to get to Lima, which is on the other side of the country was 300 pounds. And they were all booked out. It wasn't viable. So we were like, let's just find a hostel and see this through. Right. So you're um, in it for the long run at that point. We were going to be stuck there. We knew we knew that that much. So we went around a few hostels and then we decided on one, which was like a, a party hostel. So it was <laughs> like, we knew there were people. <laughs> I would not just, think anything less of you finding a party hostel for 14 days being <laughs> quarantined somewhere. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, yeah, we just wanted to be around people. Like we're in a hostel with no one. So we're like, let's go where people are. Um, yeah. So we moved into there on the uh, Monday yeah. and we knew we'd be there for 15 days and you couldn't leave. They, they basically said to us when we checked in, you're here for the 15 days. You can't check out. You should just, yeah, get yourself comfortable. What is it? Uh, Hotel California. You can check in, but you can never leave. Is that the, is that the lyric? <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. <laughs> um, what was going through your head? How did you feel at that point? We were very much like, please let us in. Okay. Please don't tell us you're fully booked. Like we want to be around 
a lot of people. We want, and it was actually quite a big hostel. It had all the accommodation in one area. It had a bar. It had a restaurant because it didn't have cooking facilities. So I was like, good. I don't want to cook. Like, <laughs> so got a restaurant, great. <laughs> like dinner, please. Um, so yeah, we're like, let us in. We want to stay here. So it was more kind of like, let's choose somewhere that's cool, got people, things to do, and it's got an outside area. So we were, we were happy. We were happy that we found somewhere yeah. that was decent. Like there was a hostel we knocked on the door that um, they didn't even open the door to us. They, they didn't let anyone in. And um, I'll come to it later, but it turns out they were the ones that actually had a case of Corona in their hostel. Oh, right. That was, yeah. that was one of my questions. I was going to say, did you meet anyone during your time in Peru that either contracted coronavirus or that you know of now since you've been back? So... When we were in the hostel, there was always the speculation, like, there's 140 people here. We're, we're allowed out for essentials. Like, will somebody come back with it? It was always there, like, like in the back of your head, like, please don't let someone get it. And then after about day 10 of being in there, we heard of a hostel called Parawana, who um, they got a case in their hostel. And they basically then became even more locked down. So they had to stay in their room 23 hours a day even if you didn't have it. Uh, that's, that's like prison in a hostel. Like I'm all for hostel living, but if you're, especially yeah. if you're staying in a room with like 20 other people and you can't leave that fucking room. And they were going to have to stay in there additional time than the quarantine. So between one and three months extra. So we were like, oh my God, these poor guys. There was 20 British nationals in there out of 100, 120. So there's a hundred other people that all different nationalities that have to stay there extra time they government provide their food okay. they also if they left during that quarantine they would get between five and ten years prison <gasps> yeah so Boris, we were hearing during our quarantine and we were like we don't we can't get that like and that's what's in the back of everyone's head like imagine if we well, didn't get it and especially when you're in a country that's not your own and again we've talked about this in previous podcasts but you're so much more vulnerable when you are traveling as much yeah. as we don't feel it at the end of the day, when something bad happens and you're not in a familiar place with familiar surroundings and commonalities, something like that where you hear you're in a country and they're arresting people and putting them in prison for leaving a hostel. I mean, at that point, like you're hearing that. it must You must have been freaking yeah. out a little bit. That is the main thing that got us when you're in there. Like you, within day two, we heard a story about another hostel that the police raided arrested people that had been drinking and took them to the station. And the next day they were on the Peru news, like foreigners getting drunk. And that was in a hostel. So you think you're in a kind of safe space, but um, these are the kind of things that take your anxiety up to kind of level 10 is all these different stories. Like the police and military had a massive presence. Like they were on the streets everywhere. They were raiding hostels. There was one um, story I heard about a woman. She said 40 military and and police came into their hostel with guns and basically arrested everyone, took them to the station and such a like scene that was going on. They were so scared the whole time. And why did like, they arrest them? Um, so kind of, I think it was drinking, but they hadn't, she told the group that she hadn't been drinking that much. But I think it's the fact that you're in a hostel, everyone's going to kind of congregate in areas because you're in a kind of confined space. So I think it was basically the laws were social distancing 
but you're in a fucking hostel. You're in a hostel where you're staying in rooms with, again, it could be up to like 20 people in... in... I was in like their dorm, like, there's, it's impossible to social distance. I was, well, uh, sorry, the only thing was a restaurant where I could eat. So everyone's eating at breakfast, lunch, dinner at the same time. They're like, social distancing was impossible. And I understand the need for it, but I, you can't do it in hostels. Yeah, and I was going to say, what's it like to quarantine in a hostel? I mean, as you said, it's almost impossible yeah. to social distance yourself when you're literally sleeping in, in bunk beds and yeah. tiny quarters with multiple people. I mean, that's exactly what a hostel is. And I would imagine that's like the worst place to be social distancing, but for like the police and the military to come in and arrest people and probably most people that aren't from that country. I mean, and it's crazy. And this is me going on a tangent of a different thought, but somewhere like South America where it wasn't even an issue then. And now looking at the UK, we're in the beginning of April where it's a massive issue and you don't hear about people getting arrested. Um, There's still people going out, social distancing. I feel like people are maybe kind of taking it seriously, but people are still leaving their house. It doesn't sound like it's on the same level whatsoever as it was in Peru when, again, it wasn't even, there wasn't even that many confirmed cases then. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that they were doing this. It seems quite scary, but, you know, maybe they were trying to get ahead of it before in case like Italy or the UK. Yeah, like I think they'd obviously seen the what happened in Europe. The only way they could really get ahead of it is to have these strict measures like lock down the country. I, I thought it's a bit of a shame they wouldn't let people out originally. Like I understand not letting people in, but when you say out, you mean leave the country. Like go Yeah, back. no one could leave the country. Like there was no it was the borders were locked. The, like you couldn't even you couldn't leave the hostel. So everyone was just kind of like ordered to stay where they were. So was this uh, Was this when you started to feel like, holy shit, this is a big deal? Yeah, so I I remember it well, actually. So um, the lockdown happened. I think I'd been in the hostel about two days. Now, the good thing is I was in a good hostel. I honestly had it better than most. It's the horror stories that I heard from other people that gave me anxiety. It's like this is coming. But um, yeah, we weren't allowed to, to leave. And what did the hostel, like from the staff, was there any sort of, I don't know, like fear or anxiety from them? Um, I'll tell you what, from the staff was fine. Like they were used to being around backpackers. They probably knew that we were okay because we weren't really leaving. They're only going to the supermarket and stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the supermarket, you are sprayed with kind of sanitizer. Your temperature is taken. Oh, really? So, Before you even went yeah. into the shop, they did that? Oh, yeah. Every every shop, you have to have uh, your temperature taken. Or, like, main supermarket. So, like, literally, they're, they're putting a gun to your... The, the little temperature gun to your head, check it, um, and then you can go in. And they do sanitize your hands when you're going in and out. The, good on them. Maybe we should have that in the UK. I, I think that Peru is, like, way ahead of everyone else's in. They, they did strict lockdown. Like, I think UK is in, like, semi-lockdown right now. Well, I imagine a strict lockdown is that's when the military and the police come out like i that's that's what i think of it being in peru that mm-hmm. is what they had like they had a strict lockdown police military temperature you have to wear a face mask if you go out. Um, it's almost as if Peru, it's like they didn't even trust people to follow the rules on their own. Like right now in the UK, what we're yeah. what we're dealing with is the government telling us, stay home, only go out for essentials. But it's like... That advice, isn't it? Yeah. And people aren't following it. And it's like, are they going to have to get more serious? And it's scary to hear to the extent to get the military involved. Um, and they're at least giving us a chance to be responsible. Yet 
And I feel like there's a lot of people that aren't being responsible. So anyone that's listening, guys, follow the instructions right now from the government because we don't want to get to a point where people are getting arrested and the military is coming in. And it just sounds, it sounds like a dystopian world that you were in in Peru. Yeah, this is one of the things I, I actually posted on Instagram. I was like, you've got a, a soft loft a lockdown you like you can still go out for exercise for an hour a day like enjoy it don't take it for advantage like really kind of, of it. yeah don't be stupid because we're in a real lockdown where you'll get arrested if you take the piss so you don't want to get to this stage this is kind of top level and actually peru had the kind of most strictest laws or mm. uh, enforcement for the uh, lockdowns compared to any other country do we know how many people now have contracted coronavirus in peru um, so when I when it started, there was seventy. I'm pre- I'm pretty sure seventy. Okay. Now there's like seven hundred. So it is still going up, and I I get why they're doing this, like because they don't have the infrastructure. They didn't. They don't have the infrastructure that you know we thankfully have in countries like the UK or Canada. But even if you look at the UK, it's a shame that they didn't nip it in the bud from the beginning because even the NHS and they're fucking amazing. They they can't manage all of that right now. And I can only imagine if something happened like that in a country like Peru. Peru, if they had as many cases as we have now in in, uh, in the UK. Wow, I yeah. Mean, so like, like we have the infrastructure and we are still struggling. having... Tr- yeah. So, like, yeah, you're right. If Peru get it, who don't have as good infrastructure, they are absolutely fucked. And this is why they did such big measures to stop movement of people, things happening. Actually, I just read yesterday that they have now restricted movement even more. So men can leave the house on, like... Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Women can leave the house on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and nobody can leave the house on Sundays. Why? So why have they split up for men and women? <laughs> because it essentially halves the amount of people leaving each day. Like, oh, so they've just separated it as men and women versus like yeah, yeah. that's just how they. I mean, that'd be a great party for you if you went out and I mean, all the yeah, other. Men free, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the problems I had in the hostel actually like I was the only gay man in the oh, hostel really? <laughs> I was so gutted about it I was like oh. this makes it harder like this is an extra level because I was I wasn't my normal self in the hostel I wasn't as sociable as I would have been yeah. um, I think just reading all messages like so I was in a whatsapp group with about 300 Brits that were stranded abroad so I guess I managed to find them online we all joined the same whatsapp group and reading that every day like as good of the work they they did to get us out it makes you more anxious. You're hearing stories, you're hearing things that are going on. So I was like, oh, damn it. Not only am I hearing all these stories, I'm also like the only gay in yeah. the hostel. I guess you weren't <laughs> using, I guess you weren't really using Grindr while you were there then. I did use Grindr, don't you worry. You used Grindr I, I, in I, the hostel still when you knew you were the only gay man? A, to see if there were any gays in the hostel and B, just to chat to gay people like about gay Oh, stuff. right, okay. <laughs> At what point then were you able to fly home? Tell us about flying home and organizing that flight home. And I mean, you were repatriated. I was, yeah. I never thought that would happen. I mean, whoever thinks that's going to happen when they go traveling. Again, this is probably not something you plan for in your initial planning of your trip to South America. So tell us about that. Yeah, so strange. I tell you the the point it became real is when I was on the bus um, getting to one of the flights and someone from the British Army came on and he gave us a talk and he was like, guys, we're going to get you home. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, fuck, man. 
type of shit, right? Like Tom Cruise coming on with like sunglasses and absolutely, it was movie style. I was like, oh my god, I'm in love with you, but um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, the kind of point it became real was when the British Army there, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of reassuring us, you're going to get home, and they did. Um, it was the government stepped in. So to put it in perspective, day three of lockdown, the Israelis got out. So they had a flight and a but they had a bus to get to Lima and then a flight out within three days. And everyone else is like, what the fuck? Like, how come they get to go so quickly and we're all stuck here? And that was another thing that causes like you to get anxious is like they've got them out and we're still stuck here. And our government wasn't doing anything at that point um so then yeah so then move fast forward like 10 days i think i got out day 13 of quarantine so it's meant to be 15 days um and it it was a smooth operation as could be just queuing waiting queuing waiting there was no kind of normal systems it was like um we needed to wait for other bus loads of people to come from different areas even when i went through immigration i still had my north gonna hat on I was like, you can't even see me. And they were just like, stamp, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Just go. We don't want you here. Now, but your flight got changed a couple times, didn't it? Yeah. So um, there was an original flight that took people from Lima, but I was in Cusco. So we heard about this flight and everyone, like a few hundred people leaving. And people in Cusco were like, what the fuck? Like, we're still here. How the hell are we going to get back? And the UK government and the MC announced they would send flights. And it was probably about a week or six days before we heard when they would be. So we knew there would be flights, but yeah. every day would, when are they going to be? When, when are they getting here? What's happening? Like, and in those six days, as you know, everything changes every day. So yeah. it's like the lockdown's getting harder. The rules have changed. The so other hostels have been... At this point, you're like, just get us the fuck out. Because at some point, they could have just done a lockdown again, where they're like, nobody's leaving. Well, they extended it as well. So while we were there, they extended it another 13 days. So um, there's some people that were staying. They're, they're, they're not getting those flights home. They are staying to keep on traveling. They're, I was going to the... yeah. You must have met people that were like, I'm good. I'm going to continue on. Yeah, like even like within about two days of lockdown, I was honestly thought... I could carry on after. I, I, I didn't know the severity of it. So I was like, I'll carry on. Within like day four, I was like, yeah, get me the fuck home. Well, and it just goes to show how quickly this whole pandemic changed over weeks and weeks and weeks. And even, you know, Steph and I talked about it in a few episodes ago. And even the first episode Steph and I did, we talked about coronavirus. I was sitting there encouraging people to buy cheap flights and go traveling during <laughs> coronavirus when it wasn't considered a pandemic. And I got a bit of slack for that where people messaged me like weeks later where obviously they hadn't caught up on our podcast. And they're like, why? are you encouraging people to fly during i'm like look we recorded that before it was even considered a pandemic um people were not on lockdown nobody was isolating it was again cases here and there at that point we had like 10 cases in the uk so it just goes to show how quickly a global pandemic the news and the information that you get can change thing is like fco didn't have any advice on their website for Peru like there was nothing that said don't go there so of Mm -hmm. course we're gonna think you could still travel you can still do this like this is a totally abnormal situation that nobody can plan for nobody nobody can plan for it and and when you before you got on the flight back what kind of health and safety checks were there were they doing for people like what would have happened if you did have symptoms of coronavirus were they going to let you fly or not go home did they talk about that at all 
Um, they didn't talk about it. So when we were queuing for the airport, we had a couple of checks. But the first check was the temperature. And that was before we got into the, even the grounds of the airport. So we did that. And then the drug check, <laughs> the dogs checking the, if we had drugs to have And I was like, that's the second most important thing for them. So, um, and that was it. Right? There, there, there was nothing else. It's one of those things where at the time, even again, four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, if you were someone that was abroad, if you had symptoms of coronavirus and you needed to get home, so there was, as you said, like Peru was shutting their borders. There was a lot of countries shutting their borders and they were telling citizens or residents, you need to come back now. And then you're really in a situation. You're like, what do I do? If I feel like I potentially might have it, and a lot of countries weren't testing for it. I mean, in the UK, they certainly weren't testing people unless they were hospitalized. But do you get on that plane or do you not? And it's very easy, I guess, for you know, people to, to judge from the outside when you're not in that scenario. But unless like, you know, in your situation, and you're stranded abroad. And even if, I'll put you in that scenario. If you had symptoms of coronavirus and you thought you might potentially have it, but you didn't know, do you think you still would have gotten on that flight back to the US? Um, it come up with a conversation. So all my people in my hostel room, we were like, would we get on our repatriation flights mm -hmm. if we had symptoms? And it, everyone was different. I personally wouldn't have. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I just thought, like, I can wait this out. There's no reason for me to get home. Like, I'll just have to do this here. Like, and I know I've got kind of underlying health conditions, but I was just like, I, I, I couldn't do it. But there was some um, girls in my room that would have. Like, yep. it's just, and I understand it. Like, you want to get home. We'd been anxious for so many days that I don't know whether... You, they could have taken their own precautions to make sure, like, we're maybe with the mask and, or, or something to stop them spreading it. I, I know that's probably they wouldn't have. But, yeah, I get some people were just really desperate to get home. And that desperation or that kind of need to get back to your home country takes over any anything else. Right. So, well, and, and, again, Steph and I talked about this in a previous episode about insurance, like travel insurance. A lot of insurers were not covering anything yeah. that was coronavirus related. And that's why I think of you, if you were saying you wouldn't have gone back, but what would have happened if something would have happened to you and you were ill and you got hospitalized, your insurance wouldn't have covered that. I mean, and that, you, you don't think you would have gone home? Yeah, that's true. Actually, I actually didn't know what my insurance would cover. When I emailed them, they didn't reply until like yesterday. So um, and when their reply was, you're through to the wrong department. So email okay. someone else. I mean, because yeah, I think a lot of the feedback we had, Steph and I had spoken to a lot of people, and I know my my insurance, my travel insurance um, policy, I got an email saying, you know, if I'm abroad and something comes up that's coronavirus related after this date, it's not going to, if it's considered a pandemic at that point, it, was gonna, it wasn't going to cover it. And that's what I wonder with a lot of people when they're in this scenario of, I'm abroad, I'm not in the country I live in, what the fuck do I do? Do I get on this flight and potentially infect other people or... Do I stay in the country I'm currently in for who knows how long? I mean, at this point, we don't know how long this is going to go on. So it's one of those. It's like it's up it's to each their own. And it's a very tough decision to make because, again, we're in a scenario right now. The entire world is in a situation right now that we I don't feel like any of us have lived through anything like this. We're not like the information, as you said, changes so quickly week on week on week. Day by day, even. Day by day, um, yeah. 
And it's just so you don't, you know, no one's giving you advice and you just kind of have to make that decision for yourself. And that's why it's, again, it's so easy for people to judge from the outside that are not in that situation. But, you know, speaking to you, you were someone in that situation. It's like, as you said. Yeah, we were getting judgments from people like that didn't even understand why we were abroad in the first place. And it's like, no, bitch. Like I was away before there was even a case. Yeah. Um, you can't push past judgment on me like and yeah maybe I didn't really understand the severity but I don't think anyone did so it was kind of like comments on people's um on like news stories about us being in Peru and stuck was like why are you there in the first place like you should have come home and it's like no you they needed to read the facts about like the lockdown when it happened if they had allowed us to leave we would have left without a doubt exactly yeah so it's just Maybe it, really depends everyone's situations. It, exactly. And depending on what country you're in, it's so different, right? You couldn't mm-hmm. leave. You physically couldn't leave. Whereas other countries, yeah. you could leave. And there's, I mean, there's some countries that still aren't even, uh, what is, is it Belarus? Belarus's president or prime minister is still saying like, yes, it's fine. Same. Like, let's just continue on. Like it's, it's, it's definitely territory by territory. It's totally different. Every yeah. Day. So weird. And like, like, like you say, every day is changing. Every country is different. Who You can't plan for this. You can't yeah, do anything about it. You just have to do what you think is right. You and do. Then, you boo. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and then like, like I say, like when the government said they were going to send flights first, I was like, yes, like I'm going to go home. I know I need to go home. I need to be in a safe space. I need to, yeah, yeah just like be with my people and see it through. Yeah. And like, I really think I'll carry on my traveling further down the line. Like it's really kind of. When this is all over, you'll go back to South America and continue on where you left off. A hundred percent is in my head, but um, obviously I've learned from this is I'm very naive about things. So uh, maybe that won't happen, but I'll just keep an eye on things. I've still got the money that I'd saved for this trip. Um, And I I don't know if you know, but the flight home from the government was 250 pounds, which is so, so good compared to what other governments were um, charging and hats off to our government. Like, honestly, they really came through for us in the end. 150 pound flight to get home to save us and other governments were charging like australia charged four thousand aussie dollars for people to get home really? like there were people that were getting on that flight and there were people i know that were in my hustle that were like not a fucking chance like who can, can afford, afford it like and still and you need money for when you get home to carry on living like no that's you can't do that so really? they're still waiting so um, it really how does it feel to be home then? I, I'm so happy. Are you I'm happy? So I was going to say, I'd imagine you're going through like mixed emotions of like, it's bittersweet, I would guess. I, I just knew it was right to come home. As soon like, I was like, I'm going to come home. I'm living with um, two friends. Yeah. They're looking after me. I'm just going to see it through. I know I need to stay indoors. I know all about like kind of what a lockdown is. I'm just going to stay in, see this through. And um, I'm happy, I'm relieved. Like, I honestly, anxiety goes through the roof when I was there. It was just too much. So it's just, I felt relieved. As soon as I got on that last flight from Lima to London, Mm. I just, I could just feel it. Like, the anxiety just leave. And I was like, I'm going home. And you're home now. We're so happy that you're home. I was so, when I saw that you posted that photo at Heathrow 
on your Instagram and I was just, yeah. I was relieved. Like I was anxious for you. And as soon as I saw yeah. that, I remember I saw him like, Oh, thank God Ian's home. And I knew you were going to be going to Croydon and you're literally just like down the road for me. And it's just, you know, yeah. I'm sad that we can't see each other in person, but I'm sitting here on zoom with you and I I'm so happy that you were able to come on and talk to me about this. I thought if I'm going to talk to anyone about this, Ian is my man. Yeah. And, and I think that I had like, uh, I compared to other people, my time there was good. It was just kind of mental health and anxiety that gets you, but other people had kind of more physical things going on that maybe they're still going through now. So I kind of really feel for them and I, yeah, really hope they get out and get home safe because they're still there now. So. Well, we'll all get through it. And my last question for you, if you could offer anyone advice, anyone that's stuck abroad or in the same situation as you, what advice would you give them? Ooh, good question. Um, so I found that I, so I went online at Twitter seemed to be the, the quickest place for any information. So we were following the embassy, finding other people that had used the hashtag. So ours was like UK stuck in Peru. So as soon as we found that, we knew all the updates. There was a WhatsApp group that I found from that. So I joined the WhatsApp group of 300 people. So all in the same situation. So that's what you want to be. You want to be surrounding yourself with people that are in the same situation you can give each other advice and help. And uh, emailing your MP, like I never emailed my MP. Okay. I never thought it was a thing. Um, but you email your MP, you're on their radar. Then you go on the government's radar. So that your MP speaks to the FCO and they get information for you. They feed it back. Like some MPs were better than others. Um, but mine was good. She contacted the SEO. She got me information. She made sure that I was up to date as much as she could. Like she had loads of constituents stuck around the world, but mm. it like the MP is a really good thing to do, which you wouldn't have thought. It's definitely a good connection to have. And they are, they specifically are there to raise your case in parliament. So if you, if they don't know where you are, the government don't know where people are stuck. So you shouldn't be doing this on your own. You should be kind of reaching out. As I say, we're all in it together, guys. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> None of us know what the fuck is going on, so <laughs> let's do it together. Cheers, Ian. Cheers. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us. And I can't wait to see you in person and give you a big hug. Same. I'll give you a big hug and then we'll go to a drag show. Yes. Can't wait <laughs> for our first London drag show when this is all over. Yeah. It's weird going through this, and I'm glad I can kind of share some knowledge with everyone. Definitely. I'll see you very soon. See you soon. Who knows? <laughs> it was crazy talking to Ian about this, because there was a lot... Of, even though I had been in contact with him throughout this whole ordeal, like I didn't know all that crazy shit happened. He wasn't really giving I... me full details. Well, and so many of those things are things like I wouldn't have even thought about. And it's like we said, it's one of those things that unless you're in a situation yourself, you don't know what you would do. Yeah, it's a really difficult time. And with so much misinformation and so much confusion and conflicting information. And lack of information, even. Lack of information. It's hard for people to make decisions. So I feel like everyone's just doing the best they can there's so many people just trying to get home or just doing the best they can so yeah yeah it was really interesting to hear yeah well we're glad he's home if anyone is listening that might be stuck abroad still 
get in touch with us let us know um and use some of ian's advice that he gave in in this episode because it's some really good advice that can help you guys and i will say if anyone's interested in hearing some more kind of random stories about people who are stuck right now world nomads who we actually partner with who you know we get all our travel insurance with they have their own daily podcast right now related to the coronavirus and same thing they're talking to people who are stuck in situations you would never think of Mm. so yeah definitely check them out you can hear some crazy stories stories yeah and we can all maybe be a little bit more thankful for the situations we're in and for easier decisions that we're making yeah we should be thankful that we are at home the worst part about this is that we have to for those of us that just have to isolate it's not that bad guys so stay home yeah sending so much love to ian i hope he's recovering from the jet lag and the crazy and the anxiety and the exhaustion yeah and that he's just settling back home. I know it's a hard adjustment coming back from a long-term trip as it is. Mm. Having to isolate after that, I can only imagine. So I know first world problem that he's about to go through, but I feel for him nonetheless. Right. Well, I think he's, uh, he's, he's also been, uh, hitting the wine. So I think he's good. (laughs) He'll be fine. Uh, so I just want to say thank you so much to everyone listening. I know this is a crazy time in our lives, so we really appreciate you listening. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe. Please leave us a five-star review. Please reach out to us. We love talking to you guys. I think some of the most interesting travel stories I've heard are from our listeners. So reach out. We're on Instagram at shitabroadpod. we got lots of good things coming up, and we look forward to speaking to you all next week. See you next week, guys. All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that, please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit I've Learned Abroad Pod. And donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Thanks so much for listening. 